This is the Patch Kincaid series, Book One, The Kennedy Paradox. The Kennedy Paradox, Chapter Five. Sector 13, Hastings Mountain, Colorado. Personnel Quarters, July 19th, 1986, 3.15 a.m. Patch felt a nudge on his arm. In the dim light, a helmeted soldier with a rifle and bulky backpack hovered over him. Cape slept soundly in the next bed. Sir, I'm Lieutenant McMasters from the 4th Infantry Division. The green digits on the bureau clock read 3.15 a.m. If you're here, Lieutenant, he said, still dressed as he stood. Kate sat up. You must have a problem. What happened? Sir, Ray Mankiewicz has just instructed me to inform you that a nuclear device has just detonated in New York City. A cold chill covered his skin as his heart thumped. You need to report to the UCA immediately. Patch, said Kate as she hugged him. He held her arms. Let's get up there. They followed the lieutenant in silence through the doorway and toward the corridor's concrete stairs. The adrenaline in his blood surged as they ascended the stairwell. Millions of innocent people alive in Yonkers, the Bronx, and Brooklyn, when he and Kate had fallen asleep, had just perished in a cataclysmic fireball. The technicians striking the computer keyboards provided the only sound upstairs. Mankiewicz and Harrington, surrounded by everyone in the complex, stood near a row of monitors. Trays with half-eaten food and empty Coke cans littered the counter. Patch edged his way closer and peered at the news channel broadcast. A shaken young reporter stood at a West Coast location. His teary eyes wandered as he forced words into the camera. At 2.49 Eastern Daylight Time, again, this will be recorded as one of the worst. He turned away and the screen switched to a different fresh reporter 300 miles away. Ladies and gentlemen, World News reported some 22 minutes ago, the city of New York was decimated by a nuclear explosion at 2.49 this morning. There's no viable way at this time to assess the damage and the destruction from this god-awful event. World News has obtained this video, which we will now play for you. Mankiewicz spoke in a low voice. Somebody leaked this report. These bastards shouldn't even be showing this to the general public. Agreed, answered Patch. Mankiewicz's face tightened as he looked up. Now you know, Patch. Patch nodded and pulled Kate closer as a recorded video from a Long Island rooftop appeared on monitor number six. Across the East River, the sporadically lit buildings of Midtown Manhattan vanished in an extraordinarily bright flash. Sweat accumulated on Patch's forehead as a convoluted orange mass expanded upward into the night. This is not a fabrication. Again, World News is reporting that the city of New York tonight, July 19, 1986, was destroyed in a nuclear explosion. I have with me Professor Henry Younes from the University of California at Berkeley. Joining Mr. Younes is retired general in the United States Army. That's Hillsdale, said Harrington. Lucky that General Hillsdale's up there, said Patch. Well, what the hell can he do now, asked Mankiewicz, holding his cigar between his fingers. The reporter thrust the microphone toward the general with the thin mustache. General Hillsdale, is there any way of telling who could have survived this nuclear blast? 
Hillsdale's star shined on his green helmet. He wore a heavily quilted vest. Well, it's too much to begin to assess the damage, uh, Bill. My concern is for the living on the outskirts of the city and downrange. Have we personnel heading to the area, General? We will be holding a briefing this morning at 9 a.m. Right now, I cannot comment on the logistics. With the carnage involved, you can understand. Which leads to my next question. Dr. Younes, is the death count going to be in the millions? Younes' bald head glared in the camera light, and his analytical voice sounded like an overdub on a documentary. Well, Bill, it would have been far greater if this had occurred during the workday. The workforce in the greater New York area... Excuse me. Reporter listened in his earpiece. His eyes slowly opened and his face became rigid. My God. What is it? Asked Hillsdale, his face tightening. Then he turned to several men behind him. We have just learned that a second bomb... Mankiewicz glared at Patch and then turned toward the screen. The nation's capital has been destroyed by a second terrorist blast. Mankiewicz, his eyes fixed on the screen, walked away. For at least five minutes, no one said anything. Mankiewicz returned with an open Bible. He faced the screen. The destroyer comes upon every city. Not a city escapes. Ruined is the valley. Wasted is the plain, as the lot is said. Set up a memorial to Moab, for it is an utter wasteland. Its cities are turned into ruins, where no one dwells. He wiped a single tear from his unshaven cheek. Jeremiah, chapter 48, verses 8 and 9. The room remained silent until another technician called out. Our channels are sporadic. We are having transmission problems, Ray. I understand, said Minkowitz, hanging his head. We can check our microwave antennas. Kate cried softly into Patch's shoulder as he wrapped his arm around her. His queasy stomach correctly gauged the depth of this surrealistic nightmare. All feeds from the public and military sectors vanished. The news channel blinked. A still video shot of the moon over a silver-rippled ocean filled every monitor. Mankiewicz stepped in front of the group. I don't think they're going to say any more. Patch leaned toward him. What are you saying? Harrington jolted Mankiewicz. He's saying that more cities will fall. Mankiewicz cleared his throat and tightened his brow. All right, listen up. What happened this morning is real. We have to do what we can do right here. One of the men at the communications desk rushed across the room and handed a piece of paper to him. Mankiewicz winced and his heavy eyes closed. He gritted his teeth and ordered the men back to the monitors for more information. Patch moved closer. You're going to commence Sector 13 power-up operations, aren't you, Ray? That is exactly what I'm going to do, Patch. I'm going to prevent this nightmare from ever happening. He motioned for Harrington to follow him. The two men disappeared into the main elevators. Kate looked up at Patch and dabbed her eyes with a Kleenex. Then she held him again. Her bewildered look magnified the horror. All dead. Patch inhaled. I have to stop them. How? This place, Patch, what is it? Some kind of missile defense system? What is Sector 13? 
It used to be a missile defense system. Well, what is it now? Kate, the activity in this place since the late 1960s, not always at this location, has been involved in time displacement experiments. That won't help anybody now. It might. She tilted her head back in disbelief. How so? Military applications, Kate. I've been back in time for short periods, twice. We may be able to do something here. Kate squinted. Patch questioned whether he could take her below, but the need for security clearances had ended with the annihilation of New York City. He pictured her 72nd Street apartment and walking through Central Park in the fall. Only the memories remain now. Come with me, Kate. Kate took his hand and she pensively entered the elevator, probably needing time to digest what he had said. Patch pushed the worn black button marked TDC and they dropped downward. Then she suddenly turned to him. How is this possible, Patch? This is 1986, not 5186. Patch raised his left brow with a mindful arrogance. We've been able to produce dimensional fields that bring us between the realm of our own time and space. Like a bubble going back. Like the elevator you're in now, moving through the carved space in a mountain rock. A similar effect occurs in the TDC. TDC? Time displacement chamber. The embarking chamber. She closed her eyes for a second. They emerged below the command center. Several minutes later, the doors opened to a multi-tiered, sheeny green pyramid constructed atop a red, glowing metal grid. The place hummed like a ship's engine room. A long, sloping tunnel connected the chamber pyramid apex to the lower control area. Patch thought the LCA resembled a baseball press box. They walked inside, dwarfed by the immensity of the complex, hollowed out of the surrounding gray rock ledges. He brought her up an open, concrete stairway to Mankiewicz. After passing several additional monitoring stations, he approached Mankiewicz. Mankiewicz worked with his people at the computers, trying to initiate a chamber power-up. Ray, we have to keep sending our people back till we've changed the future. Mankiewicz firmly put his hand on Patch's shoulder. If the future can be changed, we may never know. We'll just change. We have to assume that what we're doing is the right thing, Patch. Another report came in. Mankiewicz studied the computer readings as he spoke in a low, melancholic tone. You two would be dead right now. Kate closed her eyes. San Francisco. We are witnessing a complete destruction. Mankiewicz leaned over the technician's shoulder. I frankly don't want to hear any more. There's not a damn thing we can do about any of this except go back a few weeks and try and change it. He turned to Kate. Kate, I need to talk to Patch for a second. Kate locked her arms briefly around Patch. Mankiewicz apologized to Kate and motioned Patch into a side room and shut the glass door. I don't like leaving Kate out there. Who the hell is she going to tell now anyways? Just listen up, will you? Mankiewicz clenched his fists as he thought. Patch took a long breath, but his own emotions surged. These attacks have to be more than Carlos Sanchez and the other people. Higgins, Bornheim, and Carlos are at the center of it. Every major American city has been hit. Our country, our way of life, is over. Through the glass, Kate sat with her head bowed. Emotions had been raised to an incomprehensible level. He faced Mankiewicz. So what's your plan, Ray?
Mankiewicz regained his calm demeanor. Powering up this system will take six hours, if we still have electricity. Denver hasn't been hit yet. I'm bringing Kate inside the chamber when we're powered up. As a matter of fact, she's coming back with me. Patch, you have to establish your priorities. I thought I just did that. He kicked open the door and hurried over to Kate and held her shoulders. I'm going back in time to warn everyone you're coming with me. Incomprehensible confusion resided in her eyes. Back in time? I can't even absorb the fact that everyone is dead in New York. We need to take action. I don't care about these gizmos you hotshots have up here, okay? Patch glanced back at the booth as she covered her eyes with her hand. I'm sorry, I don't understand why anyone would do this. Some people can't exist without getting even, Katie. They can't live with the fact they were beaten. Carlos Sanchez and his gang are those kind of people. He took her warm hand, and they slowly ascended the wide concrete ramp. The passageway, lighted by wire-encased aqua-glowing halogens, wound upward through the ledge. A stiff, cooler wind blew Kate's hair back as they approached the open, gridded area. A hundred feet ahead, the Venus-textured tea-green pyramid chamber angled upward toward a stone-carved dome. She put her arm around him as they advanced along the grid. Swirling fog fissures crept upward from a luminescent red rod cluster, glowing like a fiery furnace deep within the earth. Patch explained how the dilation fields pulsed through the transparent rods inside a rimmed hyperspace configuration 50 miles in diameter under the Colorado mountains. Kate gazed up at the sealed chrome hatchway at the prodigious chamber. Patch lifted a white plastic cover-up, revealing a keypad and a small screen. He quickly punched in a numerical sequence, and the bolt slid into the hatch frame. He clutched the surrounding chrome bar, but only nudged the hatch when he pulled. Again, he gripped the chrome, but it only partially opened. Squeeze by, Kate. She slid through the opening, and Patch spun his body inside. The hatch ratcheted back in place. A protruding white grid pathway extended from an open area into a faint ultraviolet haze. Patch steered her across the wide area. Once this thing is in full operation, you don't walk down the path into the fields until you are suspended in the chamber. It's an odd feeling. I suppose it's like you're weightless. He stopped midway and faced her. Her teeth and eyes became heightened by the ultraviolet light. Then everything becomes weird. You can feel yourself being accelerated with the dilation. At that time, you're inside the bubble. Aren't you afraid when you're being brought back? You trust your people and the calculations. I've done it twice. It works. Come on. As the temperature dropped, he brought her closer to the gritty rim. I suppose if it's really possible, at least we'll be together. I'm just afraid we'll get stuck in there. That's not how it works. You don't get stuck. It's called retrograde. He stopped for a moment and put his hands on her shoulders. When you're sent back, it's like everything gaining immense energy and momentum, tightening and then snapping back. The bubble, it snaps back just as well because I went back to the 70s. I'd still be there if the retrograde wasn't in effect. But things have not changed, Patch. Would you snap back with the changes in place? Yes, we'd be the only ones who knew that time had changed. When you're actually back in time, you see the area you're emerging into. It's shaded, like being in a developing picture. 
Everything is shaded as the bubble slowly materializes. There's an immovable dimensional barrier between the outside world and the bubble. And you move ahead. When you return in time, the world just starts up like a frozen video. And then you're back in time. Same thing happens in reverse. I keep telling myself you guys are somehow going to pull this off. I'm not sure we can do it. But we will have to warn everybody as to what will happen. Mankiewicz's voice echoed around the chamber. Hatch, get back up here, right now. Hatch looked upward. He sounds serious, said Kate. He is. Personnel in green army fatigues packed the control room. Mankiewicz bounced between monitors and barked out orders. Kill them for Christ's sake, he shouted into a red telephone. Ray, what's the matter? Mankiewicz talked as he darted about. We have problems outside. There are people shooting at the guard gate. Somebody knows about what we're doing in here. Security has been broken. Hatch checked the orange console's power-up monitor. Over five hours to power up. I know that. We can just hold them back for a few hours. Hatch worked the keyboard to form equations about actually landing back in time. Kate sat in the chair next to him as an image of the pyramid chamber formed on the blue screen. Can you leave without fully powering up? asked Kate. Yes, but the problem is how far away you're going. If we plan on going back a week, I'll have the appropriate video and proof of what's going to happen. The power output can be tweaked with the navigation. That's what I'm setting up now. I'm not worried. Speak for yourself, Patch. Can we really change this? There'll be two of us back a week ago. You'll be in New York and I'll be on my way back from the meeting with Norcross. Plus, this is something called the Korbinsky Self-Consistency Principle. It's the whole unanswered question of whether you can change time, and I'm not sure about that. What is Kobinsky? Having two of one person back there is a paradox. Kobinsky says, if an event exists in time, it would give rise to a paradox. Then the probability of that event happening is zero. Space-time passes away inside that chamber, Kate. You and I going back to change this disaster is a part of the space timeline all along. I don't get it still be two of each of us. Whatever we might do, we will reach these non-paradoxical ideas like having two of us. Then we won't be there. Weren't there two of you and your trips back? Patch turned from the computer and smiled. Well, I never heard of Patch Kincaid. You never looked. Probability is zero. Harrington scampered around the consoles to Mankiewicz. Ray, I've just posted men in the connector tunnels and the doors are secured. Someone tipped these people off. They understand the importance of Sector 13. I kept telling the Army to defend this place, but they wouldn't listen. They're arrogant enough to believe that no one could find out about Sector 13. Give it an hour, Ray. Wonderful. Patch looked up from the screen. We need more time. I understand that, Patch. Makewood stood and faced Harrington across the room. Just hold the sons of bitches off, Bill. Hold them off. 